be reading from Mark chapter 14, verses 60 through 72. Uh, Then the high priest stood before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fist, and said, Prophecy. And the guards took him and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses on himself. And he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. This is the word of the Lord. I hope you have felt blessed already by seeing the triple baptism and uh, hearing from Jackie. Uh, such great words, and wasn't that offertory beautiful? My goodness. Uh, hope you've already been blessed. Oh, some of you, it, you lost an hour, didn't you? Come on, stay with me. You know, we don't know what Jesus looked like when he didn't get an extra hour of sleep, but we don't know what he looked like in general. Uh, I think often, t- here, well, here he is right here. Hold on a minute. <laughs> I don't know why this is here. has the word taught, and he did teach, but there he is. And, you know, that's kind of a Western look. In Western culture, we often look uh, at him in this manner. But I think Philip Yancey is so right in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew. We really don't know what he looked like. Uh, The truth is, though, regardless of how he looked, whether he was Hollywood handsome or somewhat plain, uh, he was loaded with charisma. I mean, he had this convincing charisma where people would, you know, he would just say, follow me, and people would follow him. People would sit there in rapt fascination as he spun stories. They would listen to him so intently. My favorite image of the amount of charisma, just personal power that he exuded out to other people is actually in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you go to John chapter 18, uh, the soldiers come in and say, uh, you know, we're looking for Jesus who claims to to be the Messiah. And he turns to them and says, I am he. That's all he says. I am he, and in the Greek it literally says, and they fell backwards over themselves. Okay, They just went tumbling and fell all over themselves, simply because he turned and said that. That's the degree of convincing charisma that Jesus had. Peter saw that, had seen that, not just in the Garden of Gethsemane, but for quite some time as Jesus uh, taught and ministered and performed miracles and did all these other amazing things. And that's not all he witnessed. More than once, he heard Jesus refer to himself as the great I am. And, and that's huge. Uh, an example is in John 8 when Jesus is sort of debating 
with some Jews, and he invokes the name of Abraham, who was the father of Israel, uh, had lived centuries before, but he starts invoking Abraham as though he knows him personally, and the Jews look at him and say, you're not even 50 years old yet, and you claim to have known Abraham? And what did Jesus say? Truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Even before he was born, I am. Ego I me. They thought that was blasphemous. They tried to stone Jesus. Jesus gets away. Peter had heard him say that. Peter had stood with him, stood behind him. Even though Peter could be hot-headed and inconsistent, even though he didn't really have a full understanding at that point of the kind of Messiah Jesus was going to be as a suffering one, nevertheless, he stood up for Jesus. Didn't he stand up for Jesus even in the Garden of Gethsemane? Do you remember? The guards come along. There's a servant of the high priest there. What does Peter do? Pulls out a sword and does what? Slices off the ear of that man. Jesus rebukes him and heals the ear. But nevertheless, Peter was willing to stand up for him. That took great courage. Some of us forget that it took great courage for him to do what he did just after Jesus was led away from the garden. What happened? All the other disciples fled. What did Peter do? He followed the guards at a distance as they took Jesus over to the high priest Caiaphas' house. In fact, he stood, first of all, in the outer courtyard, but then he went into, went into the inner courtyard where this trial is going on. Really a mock trial is what it was. But he did that. No other disciple did that. That took great courage. And the high priest, one more time, asks Jesus, as it says in the text that Aaron read, Are you the Messiah? The Son of the Blessed One, and Jesus says those two words again, what? I am. Now keep in mind, this, is just, this isn't just a simple declarative sentence, I am. Uh, it really takes you back 1,200 years before Jesus was even born on earth to Moses, when Moses saw the burning bush. And he asked God, who should I tell them has sent me? And Jesus, for the first time, issues his personal name, I am. Tell them, I am sent you, or I am who I am. It's where we get the title of Jesus, the name of Jesus that you find in the ancient Hebrew, Yahweh. Yahweh. It's from the verb to be, which I think is just perfect, because what God is saying is, I am the source of all being. All life comes from me. I am the source of all life. That's a good name for God, actually, is is Yahweh, to be, I am. And Jesus goes on to say, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the mighty God. He says that, and that upsets the high priest and everyone else. And Peter, we don't know for certain that Peter heard all this exchange between Caiaphas and Jesus. He probably did because he was in the inner courtyard. Nevertheless, he had already heard Jesus multiple times say, I am the great I am. You know, I'm God, is what he was saying. And it took courage to be in that inner courtyard. So Peter was a courageous man. But like you and me, his courage only went so far. He sits in the courtyard, warming his hands with other guards, and a servant girl comes up and says what? You were with the Nazarene. You were with the Nazarene. And he says what? I don't know what you're talking about. And that makes him unnerved enough to move from the inner courtyard back to the outer courtyard, but apparently the servant girl goes with him and in front of others says once again, this fellow was one of them. He was with the Nazarene. And once again, Peter denies it. And maybe we don't fully appreciate the next denial. Apparently they recognized his 
distinct Galilean accent because they said, surely you're one of those who was with him because you're a Galilean. We can tell by the way you're talking. That's what they're saying. And then it says in Scripture, Peter called down curses from heaven and stated the oath, I don't know him. Now, what does that mean to call down curses from heaven? Did Peter start cussing? That's not what he was doing. Back in that day, you could often say, I call down curses from heaven and may those curses curse me if I am lying. He's basically saying, may I be cursed by heaven if I am lying. That's what he's saying. Think about that, the gravity of that. May heaven curse me if I'm not telling the truth. I do not know him. Luke records that at that moment, Jesus and Peter's eyes met. And at that moment, this rugged leader of the disciples broke down and wept. Peter had courage, but he didn't have the courage to follow Jesus all the way to the cross. And isn't that the same with you and me? We will declare Jesus as Lord. By the way, I just love that. Where are you, Hannah and Emily and Heidi? That was just so great. Uh, I want to encourage some other family to do that. Get, get all baptized together. I just love that. That was so cool. And, and Emily, remind me, what did you say up there in the baptistry right before I dipped you in the water? What did you say? Jesus is Lord. And you and I will say that in so many ways, not just in the baptistry, but out there in the world, through our words, through our actions, through our thoughts, through our attitudes. And that's great and fine, but oftentimes we will hit a wall, as you know. You know, we want to follow him, and we'll even follow him along getting close to the cross like Peter did, but we will only go so far. Something causes fear. Something causes awkwardness. Something causes a fear of rejection. It grieved Peter deeply as soon as he realized what he had done, the gravity of what he had done. Does it ever grieve you when you deny Jesus in some way? Because I'll be real honest, we're in the buckle of the Bible belt here, It's very easy for us to externally look like we're just fine and we've never really sinned as badly as we really have and we just want to put on blinders and compartmentalize it or just deny it or brush it off and think that it's not all that serious. I hope that our sin does grieve us. Isn't it interesting that this story of Peter's denial appears in all four Gospels? It's one of the few incidents that appears in all four of them. Interesting. They thought it was important to put that in there. And you know who clearly, to me, felt it important to be in there? Peter. Does anybody happen to know, I'm going to put you on the spot, Farah, not just you, or you from biblical perspectives class. What is the, er, should I ask you, what was the earliest gospel? Do you remember the earliest gospel written? Anyone? <laughs> Mark, thank you. You still got an A. You got a high A in there, so don't worry about it. Gospel of Mark was the earliest gospel, but do you know whom his primary source was? Where did he get the bulk of his material for the writing of that gospel? Anybody know? Peter. Peter. Uh, the, the early church fathers in the first part of the second century make that very clear. Papias and other church fathers record that, that he got a lot of his material, in fact, most of his material from Peter. That makes sense. Peter was in on so much of went on. Garden of Gethsemane, baptism, wherever it was, Peter was there. He got the material from Peter. They were also very, very close. If you look in the epistles of Peter, he refers to John Mark as my son. They were very close. And not only that, uh, Justin Martyr and some of the early uh, church fathers of the second century, they didn't even call the gospel of Mark the gospel of Mark. Does anybody know what they called him? The memoirs of Peter. That's what they called it. 
Now, I want you to think about that. That's the earliest gospel, and Peter was careful because John Mark wasn't present when Peter denied Jesus. Jesus gave that information to John Mark. He wanted it to be in there. And John Mark contributed a lot to Matthew and Luke's gospels. So there, you know, it, it flowed into all of them. I just think that's so cool that Peter wanted that to be in there for sure. Why do you think he would want it in there? Because, and I think Adam Hamilton is right, I think he probably shared that story over and over again. Difficult to share, but he did. Why did he want it in the gospel? Because I think he knows himself and knows you and me well enough to know that way too often we deny him when we really don't need to that we're guilty of that. And I think what's even cooler is Peter wanted it in there because Peter, looking back, realized that's not the end of the story. You go to the end of the Gospel of John, that wonderful time where Jesus restores and recommissions Peter. Three times he says, what, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter says, yes. And Jesus says, what, does anybody remember? Feed? He, he says, he's really commissioning, he says, what, feed my sheep. Second time, do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Third time, Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Just as Peter denied him three significant times, Jesus restores him threefold. Great account. No doubt that's part of why Peter wanted that in there, not only to share his own humanity and sinfulness, but to know that that doesn't have to be the end of it. You still have work to do for him. You can still be restored. I wonder if you'll Give in to that challenge. You know, confess your denial and strive never to, to, to deny him again. What's so cool about Peter is once he was recommissioned at that point, my gosh, look at, the, look at the book of Acts. Read his epistles. Remember how Peter ultimately died. Do you remember? Uh, church tradition and historical tradition says what? He was crucified, but what? Upside down. Didn't want to be crucified as his Lord was. He was fearless no longer denied him, was bold in his proclamation saying, Jesus is Lord. Like you and me, Peter sinned, but God forgave Peter. He still saw worth in in forgiving Peter. What's the song we just did? And it said, uh, a wretch that I'm still his treasure, something like that. That's so perfect. We're wretches, but he still treasures us. It reminds me of something that occurred when I was at an elementary school uh, church camp uh, just a few years ago, no, many years ago. And uh, I remember sitting out, uh, it, was, it was during the day, but it was sitting around where we had the campfire at night. We were all sitting in the dirt there. Let, let, let me let you help me. Imagine that you're in elementary school uh, camp and we're sitting in the dirt around a campfire during the day and there's somebody speaking and you're listening. And let's say that the speaker, like he did when I was there, he held up a 20 and, and he said, I want you to raise your hands. How many of you would like to have this? Now, remember, you're like six, seven, eight, nine years old. How many of you would like to have this $20 bill? Okay. All right. Well, let me do this. How many of you all would still want it now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's play along. So all of you. Okay, well, what if I throw it down like that? How many of y'all would still take it? How many of y'all still want it? Okay, we're in the dirt here. What if I were to... Okay. How many of y'all would... St- oh, it's dirty. Got, oh, it's a mess. How many of y'all would still take it? How many of y'all still want it? Okay. By the way, I'm keeping it. Um, but I remember his point. I thought this was so cool. He said, I've just taught you something important. 
you still wanted it even though it was, it was crumpled up and thrown down, even though it got dirty and, and ground underfoot, you still thought it was okay. It didn't decrease in value. And I'll never forget the guy said, you know, a lot of times we, <laughs> we fall, we're crumpled because of bad things that happen, or we fall because of our sin. He said sometimes we're really dirty because of how we've been living our lives, but you know what? You'll never lose your value in God's eyes. You'll never lose your value in God's eyes. You're a wretch, but he treasures you. You don't deserve it, but by his love, he treasures you. Whether you're dirty or clean or crumpled or finely creased, he loves you. You're priceless to him, priceless to him. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, whatever you've thought, you're still of worth to him. And Jesus sees worth in you and me. Still has work for us to do, just as he commissioned Peter and said, I still have work for you to feed my sheep. We need to do the same. Still had work for him to do. Now, Jesus gave him fair warning. What does he say in the next breath after he says, feed my sheep? He says, truly, I tell you, when you were young, you could go wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and you will go where you do not want to go. And John says, Jesus was saying the way that Peter would die. In a figurative way, Jesus was saying, one day you're going to stretch out your hands just like I'm about to and die on a cross. That's what it takes. That's exactly what it took for Peter. Never gave up on denying Jesus after that time when he was restored. And it was all worth it. No doubt Peter would say it was all worth it because Peter experienced that redemption that only Christ can give. He experienced that redemption where your slate is wiped clean. Wiped clean. True story about uh, uh, Alberto Reyes, who was a, a priest in Manila in the Philippines. And he wrote about this many years after it occurred, but, but he talked about a, a sin that he committed during Bible college that was pretty, pretty bad, but you know, he never shares what it was, but it was pretty bad, and it always bothered him. He had asked for God's forgiveness, but he still carried it around like a millstone. He just said, it's something that weighed me down for years. Well, years after Bible college, he becomes a priest in a church. And uh, there's a woman in that church who's kind of more Pentecostal type. And, you know, he was Catholic, wanted to, you know, was trying to figure this out. And he kind of got annoyed with it and, and because she said that she sometimes had dreams and visions where Jesus would come to her and she would talk to him. And he was like, you know, and he got tired of hearing about that after a while. And so he went to her after one Sunday service and said, okay, I'm going to put you to the test. Next time you speak to Jesus in one of those visions, one of those dreams, Ask him what sin your priest committed while he was in Bible college. She said, okay. And a few days later, he saw her out of the marketplace and walked up to her and said, well, did, did you see Jesus in your dreams? Yes. Well, did you talk to him? Yes. Did you ask him what sin I committed while in Bible college? Yes. Well, what did he say? And she said to him, he said, I don't remember. And that changed That priest's life, I don't remember. It should change ours too. No matter how often we deny him, if we with genuine contrition, authentic repentance, ask for it. Just ask for it. He's always waiting there to offer it to you. It's not like he's up there, you know, some stern martinet, some some stern judge just waiting to, to call down fire on you. All he wants to do is offer you. That. We've talked about confession before. Confession literally means what? To agree with what God already knows about you. We do just that. Wiped clean. He doesn't remember. 
best of news for all of us deniers. Let's pray together. We thank you, O oh God, that no matter how we have acted, no matter what we have done, no matter how stupid we've been, no matter how often we say to ourselves, what was I thinking? How could I have done something like that? How could I have thought something like that? How could I have said that to someone? Nevertheless, you are always there to offer your grace. Only your grace is sufficient, O oh God, that which Jesus offered to us on the cross Help us like Peter to follow you along toward that cross, but to take it even further, to be willing to move downwardly toward that cross on which you humbly suffered and died for us. We thank you for continuing to confirm us, to affirm us even as we deny you. Uh, Let's just take a minute, and if you have something you need to ask forgiveness for, because in some way, shape, or form, you're denying Jesus when there is something you need to ask forgiveness for. Can you just take a silent moment and simply pray for forgiveness for whatever that is? Because what he wants to do is redeem you and forget about it. Will you do that for just a moment? take a minute and pray for anyone in here who is really struggling with something in a rather critical way, a difficult way. It's something that's really burdening them right now. Would you just pray for that person? And if you are that person, know that right now prayers are being sent your way. Jackie said earlier, help us to trust that as a local body, a part of your body, help us to trust that our prayers do make a difference for each other and for our world. Help us to continue to be a praying people. And again, thank you for loving us, us deniers who really do want to do better. We who really do want to follow you more closely. We pray these things in your name. Amen.